Good morning. Praise God. The message this morning is going to be on this Palm Sunday. And Jesus wept. And Jesus wept. We're going to be going into John chapter 11. We're going to be spending time in Luke chapter 19. And I want you to pay attention. Our hearts and minds be open to the Word and to the Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you you touch in a mighty way. I want to thank you for your great love for each one of us, my Lord. Thank you for your love for your people. And Father, you have told us that we are to pray for the peace in Jerusalem. And Father, we continue to pray that way. That your will might be done in all things. And Father, because we recognize that we're part of one body. And when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt, Lord God. We need to cry out unto you. And Lord, I want you to recognize, I want everyone to recognize from the sound of my voice, this message is not a condemning message, but I believe it's a message coming right from your heart. And Father, I pray that as the message comes forth, Lord, that, uh, well, you'll reach out and teach one of us. And we, my Father, will pay attention to your feelings, the wounds, Father, that, you, that your Son endured. Father, so often we bring our problems and our trials to, to your Son, Jesus. We bring our wounds and our hurts. But so often we, we neglect the fact that you also are wounded and you also are hurt. And Father, I pray that as we recognize some of the sufferings that Jesus went through, that we ourselves might then recognize how we are too, in fact, well, enter into that suffering. Father, I pray that you will speak to me this morning. Because Father, what is to be conveyed can only be conveyed as your spirit leads. Because humanly, I am humanly impossible. It's impossible for me to totally represent you in the fullness that you so deserve. Allow the Holy Spirit in a supernatural work, way to work in each one of our lives so we can comprehend everything being spoken this morning and will continue to serve you, Lord God, with a heart and a desire to become more like you in all things. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 34, a passage of Scripture very familiar to each one of us when it comes to Palm Sunday. Jesus said these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent, were sent to you. How often I have, would have longed to gather you as children together as, hun, as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings, but you're not willing. Look, your house will be left desolate. desolate. I tell you that you will not see me again until... You say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jumping over to Luke chapter 19. After Jesus had said this, he went ahead, going up to Jerusalem. He approached Bethphage and Bethany as the hill called Mount of Olives. He said to his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you as you enter into it and find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, tell them the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt, and the owner asked, why are you untying the colt? What are you doing, dude? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks and their, on the colt, and Jesus put, was put on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road, when he came near the place where the road goes into the Mount of Olives, he, the whole crowd of disciples began rejoicing, joyfully 
to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Notice that. Why were they praising the Lord? For all the miracles they had seen. Verse 38 says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he repeated, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem, here's what I want us to see in verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he what? He wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against, against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and your children and within the walls. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you have not recognized the time of God's coming to you. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those selling. It is written, he said, My house will be a house of prayer. But you made it a, house, a, den, a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because why? All the people hung on his words. As I go into Luke 19, I see a passage of Scripture which is describing the approaching of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. And he comes down from the Mount of Olives, the Scripture says, to the gate of the crowd. And the crowds have begun to grow. And now the story, you know the story, they're throwing their garments before him, in front of him, so the donkey, the donkey can have a royal trail. And they're crying out, they're shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the King has come, He is coming. They were crying out, the hour of, of Israel, the, the King of Israel is coming, peace is coming to Jerusalem. And they were shouting and they were singing, they were singing Hosannas unto the King. Jesus came to the city and when He had come there, He looked over the city and something amazing happens. Now the Scripture is very, very clear. That the people were not shouting Hosanna because they trusted Him. Not because they trusted Him to be the Messiah. They didn't trust Him. To be. In fact, they didn't trust Him to be God in the flesh. They were praising Him and singing Hosanna because they believed at that time that the kingdom of God was going to appear and immediately appear and they would be set free from Roman tyranny. Finally, finally, God Almighty has sent, has sent the King. He has sent someone to bring peace to Jerusalem and set us free. There'll be no more war. The kingdom of God is going to be set up and established. He's going to rise in a fury. And he began to sing Hosanna to him. And it's there in the midst of all of this that he wept over Jerusalem. He wept. He broke down. He wept. We have a God that weeps. A God in the flesh who weeps. And some might think a weeping God is a disgrace. How can you preach? How can we conceive a God who weeps? That's weakness. I don't want to serve a weak God. But this is the God in the flesh who would give His life. And he sees what's happening. He looks over Jerusalem. And He sees what's going to happen. And He cries. He cries, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would have gathered you I would have gathered you like a, like a mother hen would gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You were not willing. 
In other words, he's saying, yeah, I, you have, I, I've given you the miracles. I've given you the signs. I've given you the wonders. I have met all of your needs miraculously. You have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. I've given you every kind of example of God's love, the Father's love. I've treated you like a father to children. And you rejected my love. He says in verse 40, 44, and the days are going to come when the enemy is going to surround you on every side and there will be calamity. And not one stone will be left upon the other. He's weeping. He's weeping. He's been wounded by the very house of David. And he knows what's coming. He knows that within 70 years, the enemy is going to attack. And in fact, Titus in 70 AD raided the city and tore down its walls, destroyed the, the temple and brought calamity and, and terror to all the people there. He's crying over Jerusalem because he sees he sees the price. He recognizes the payday is going to come for, because of unbelief. And it didn't have to be that way. But they refused to receive. They refused to receive. What a horrible payday was coming for those who rejected God's love through absolute blatant unbelief. Jesus is weeping over, over them. And you have to ask the question this morning, what about today? What about today that Christ has been glorified? Is today the glorified Christ? Is our Savior still capable of feelings? I don't know. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. Several weeks ago, we looked at this passage of Scripture and, and, Palm, and, and Palm, in Psalm 2.4 says, God laughs. So we see in Hebrews 4 that we have a God who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And in Psalm chapter 2, uh, verse 4 says this, we have a God who laughs. The one enthroned, what's He do? In heaven, He laughs. The Lord scorns at those who are His enemy. We have a feeling God, church. We have the same feeling God who's ascended to glory, the one who was on earth who would give his life, the same one who would weep, the one who was moved into a glorified state, the one who was fully God, fully man. He ascends to the glory. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. He's seated there. We have a high priest, the Scripture says, that is touched with the feelings and hurts in the needs of his people. And so he cries because he sees. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you will kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. You're unwilling. You are Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You're unwilling. You're unwilling to be ruled by, by the man Christ Jesus. You're unwilling. You have your own agenda. Fast forward to our day today. How often does the church of Jesus Christ ruin our Savior? How often do we wound Him? Because of our unbelief. We've seen the miracles. We've experienced the move of God, salvation within our lives. And yet at some point we pull back and say, wait a minute, you're going too far. I want to be set free from the circumstance, but Lordship? I don't know. I like salvation the way it sounds, but to be, to be discipled? 
Think of the miracles. Think of the miracles in your lives and those around you. Miracles Jesus has performed. Think about the gospel being preached today around this world by thousands of preachers and missionaries preaching faith. But if you look back and really look at the church as a whole, there's nothing more than wavering faith. When you think about it. We have faith enough to get ourselves out of trouble. Oh God, grant me patience because if you give it, if you give me strength, I'm going to need bail money. God Almighty, come in and set me free. Take care of this problem for me. Remove that crisis from my life. If you just get me out of this one, I'll never doubt you again. And then God Almighty moves in a miraculous way. And then another crisis comes into our life, one more severe than the last. And doubt begins to roll in again and again and again. We begin to doubt. We question. If you and I could only sense the grief of our God in our hearts. If in our hearts we could sense that grief. Folks, once in a while, I'm accused of being a negative preacher. I'm not, just ask me. But I do believe this. I believe that anyone that stands behind the pulpit, a pulpit, any pulpit, must share the heart of our God. I believe with all my heart, we must share what he feels. We must share what he thinks, what he wants. We must convey that behind this pulpit. We must not convey what people want or what people desire. We must convey what our God Almighty reveals and desires. Sometimes it comes across in a negative way, not because it's negative, but because it goes against the grain. It makes change in our lives, but ultimately it's a blessing. God is blessing. It's interesting because in Matthew the 13th chapter, verse 33, and I get a kick out of this. Jesus is there with the disciples, and he's telling them another parable. If you go into the 13th chapter, get the whole context of what's happening there. He talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. He's telling this. I'm kind of jumping into the parable, but he's telling this. And as a result of this, remember now, the disciples have just seen Jesus feed the multitudes. Now they're getting on a boat just to kind of relax a little bit, and Jesus starts talking about leaven. Now what he's really talking about, he's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees. That's what he's talking about. But the disciples, they don't get it yet. The disciples are like, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's upset. Okay, like, who forgot the bread? They're missing it completely. They don't understand. And Jesus is shocked by what he's hearing them. And he, he's saying, you don't still, you don't get it. Don't you remember the miracle, the feeding of the thousands? How can you not get it? Don't you understand? Why do you still not understand? How can you not believe me and trust me now after all those miracles and the answers of prayer and everything you've seen of me? How can you not get it? I'm not talking about who forgot the bread. And I wonder if Jesus wiped a tear from his eyes that day. I wonder. And then there's then there's the road to Emmaus. It's the time after the resurrection. Jesus comes alongside his disciples. Now the resurrection's always taken place, but they don't know where Jesus is. They don't know what's going on. He asks them what's, now get this, this is, to me this is funny. Kind of, it's humorous. Jesus is standing in the midst of them and he's asking them what's troubling you. And they respond, 
Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? It's about Jesus. Jesus, what he meant about what? Well, we thought he was the Redeemer. We thought he was God in the flesh. We thought it was time he was going to rise up, but he got crucified. And we don't know where he is. The tomb is empty, and we don't know where he is and what's going on. You know, the reports are he's not there. We believed he was going to rise on the third day, but nobody knows what's going on. And mind you, while they're doing all this, they're talking to Jesus. I, I just think that's kind of humorous at some point. <laughs> and Jesus, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, that describes for me absolute unbelief. They're not getting it at all. And Jesus' response is basically, you fools, you foolish men, you're so slow to believe. And I wonder if Jesus wiped a tear from his eyes that day. Because you see, the disciples that he's speaking with, the disciples, they had, they, they probably were the same. They had seen the resurrection of Lazarus. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen miracle after miracle. Here Jesus is now in a glorified body saying, you fools, you're so slow to believe. Understand, he still loved them. There was pain. But it was painful to the heart of our Lord. Why could you not believe me? I told you time and time again that I was going to rise. And I was going to die and I would rise again. I would rise again and I, I would be your life giver for I am the resurrection, I am the life, and I'm living and, I, and, I'm, and you still can't believe that. You're missing it. And folks, there was enough Scripture in their day. Enough Scripture with all the references by the prophets about Jesus and what was going to happen and how it was going to occur and they still, they still were struggling. They still didn't see. And he still didn't see. John chapter 20 verse 19 tells us they're all gathered together after the resurrection, you know, and, and he's going to appear to the eleven now. He's going to rebuke them. because Here they are. The scripture says they're gathered together on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples gathered were together. And notice what the doors were. They were what? For fear of the Jews. So here they are gathered together and they're scared to death because the Messiah, Jesus, is dead. They're going to they're coming after him. They, they figure they're going to come after them next. And there he the scripture says, he appears unto them, came and stood among them, saying, peace be with you. They would have freaked them out. And he rebukes them. He rebukes them for their unbelief and the hardness of their heart. They didn't believe. They still didn't believe. After all they've seen, all they knew. They're there in a room discussing the whereabouts of Jesus, locked for fear of the Jews, scared to death. They have been told by Christ over the, over the years with them that he was establishing something. He, he, was, he had let them know that he was going, they were going to be in his church. They were the pillar of the church. And they're, they're saying, we don't know. We don't know. We don't understand. We're full of doubt in their hearts. They were the ones, remember, who walked with Jesus. They were taught by Jesus. They were loved by him. They were his circle. Circle of fellows. I'm going to tell you something, folks. And I guess we can get a hearty amen out of this. And nobody can hurt you more than those that are closest to you. I've always said, when we talk about 
persecution is going to come in the last days, but I've always felt the real persecution is not going to come from without, it's going to come from within. I can deal with persecution from without. Folks don't understand that. I recognize it. I pray for them, deal with it. But when it comes to those who are close to you, that hurts. That wounds. That's hard to get over. That, that, that saps our, our faith and our strength. You don't get it. Here Jesus is in his circle. And these disciples who are to be the pillars of the church He's appearing in a room and he sees the unbelief and he listens to the talk that, that as if he was no, there was no redeemer. As if there was no living Christ, no resurrection, and he rebukes them. And I believe he wiped another tear from his eyes. I believe the resurrected Christ, our glorified, was actually wounded again. I believe he felt the wound of those men. Many had trained, many had loved. And because he sees what's coming to mankind and the calamities that were going to come, and he knows that these men need, these are the men who need to believe in the impossible. They need to. They need to have unshake, unshakable faith. They can't be shaken with unbelief. They cannot be. And so he sheds another tear. I'll tell you something, folks. We see people today mocking the Lord Jesus Christ, mocking the Word, mocking God, the resurrected Christ. From all the legislation that's being passed when it comes to abortions and, and killing babies and all that's going on and everything's being proposed, from, from all the legislation being proposed dealing with hate speech and the issues of tolerances, when you, when you think about the public school systems and the courthouses trying to wipe out the name of Christ out of our society, and you have to ask the question, how long will the Lord let them get away with this? How long will this continue? You have to ask that question. They're mocking Him. What they're saying is, you will have no rule over us. We will rule ourselves. And yet the most hurtful wounds that are inflicted are by not those outside, but by those most intimate. Intimate family and friends come within the body of Christ. Now, folks, I understand. I understand that God Almighty is no respecter of persons. I know that. When it comes to people's value or worth, He's no respecter of persons. When it comes to salvation, it's by faith alone, not by works. We know that. But Jesus always had a circle, an inner circle, and an inner circle. He always had that. People who were close to Him. People who were supposed to be close to Him. I mean, look at look at in Mark chapter 5, verse there's Peter, James, and John. They were part of the inner circle of Christ. Scripture talks about them, that they were the ones that were allowed into the room when the young damsel was raised from the dead. In Matthew 17, verse 1, it was the Peter, James, and John who go to the Mount of Transfigurations. The other couldn't go. In Mark, the 14th chapter, it was going to again be Peter, James, and John who were going to be with Jesus, closest to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The inner circle. They were going to be the pillars of the church. And these are the ones who were most capable of wounding him. He had an inner circle. But he also had an inner inner circle, if you might say. Because Mark, John chapter 11, verse 5 talks about Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You see, he had some even closer 
than the inner circle. And that would be Mary, Martha, and Lazarus from Bethany. There was a home for him. There was a place he could go to get away from the crowd just for a few moments, just to clear his mind. And I'm sure Martha must have been a little Italian. She must have had some Italian in her because I believe she would have made it a bigger, the greater thing, going to make a bigger feast. Cooked the best meals for her Savior. Gathered together. And Lazarus, Lazarus was apparently one of Jesus' closest friends. Lazarus was someone that Jesus could actually recline with. He was someone he could, Lazarus was someone Jesus would speak with and talk with, friend to friend, and not just about the Bible. You know, just be able to share, just be able to have some R&R, a retreat, a place he could go. And while Jesus is out ministering, he gets word. He gets word that Lazarus was sick. And they expected Jesus to respond quickly. Expected him to drop everything he had to go there to be with him. But the scripture says he stayed there two more days. And you question why. And the disciples are like, come on, we got to get going. You know, come on. He's sick. Go now. You know, we know who he is. Besides, Martha makes a good meal. <laughs> so the message is sent to Jesus. The one you love is sick, and he waits two more days. He doesn't send any reply. He, he allows a hopeless situation to fall into the impossible situation. A situation that, that is un, it, it's humanly impossible. Humanly impossible to change. You can't change the situation. He allows that to happen. And he would actually say to his disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there. I hope, hope the girls don't hear that. He actually tells the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there. For your sake, he's talking to the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Let's go. He waits two days. Just got to get this picture in your mind. He's allowing this situation to develop in this house. He's allowing this situation he could have spoken, folks, he could have spoken any time he wanted to. He created the universe. All he had to do was be healed. He just, just say, hey, you know, whatever. He just speak the word and, the, and Lazarus be healed. It wasn't an issue. He could have spoken any time and, and that man just got up out of the bed. Even if he ended up in the grave ahead of time, just speak the word. He'd be out. Done deal. Kind of freaky, but it would come out like Jesus wasn't around. He could have done it. But instead, Jesus says, nope, we're not going. For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. We're going to wait. We're going to wait. Think about that for a moment. Think about what Jesus says. He's, he's really saying, this condition isn't desperate enough. The condition is not impossible yet. Jesus is saying, like, everybody knows, they know that I can lay hands on a sick man and he's going to be healed. They already know I can lay hands on someone who will get up from the... get. They know that already, so it's being no big surprise. They know he'll rise. But I'm going to allow this situation to fall into the absolute impossibility. And there's a reason for it. Because in a not-too-distant future, he's going to die himself. He's been trying to get them to understand 
that He is the resurrection and the life. And they weren't getting it. He wants them to believe that He is the resurrected one. He is the one of, He is life Himself. He's going to say to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not about just bringing this individual, your brother, my friend, to life again. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm going to bring him back to life again. He's going to die. He's going to die a little later on. We pray for healing. Great, you're healed, but you're going to die. At some point, you're going to die. He said, I can heal you. That's great. But he's going to die. And she goes, I know that about the resurrection. No, no, no. I want you to understand I am the resurrection and the life. And you're not getting it. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Spiritually dies and that we are transformed into new creatures through Christ Jesus moment by moment through sanctification. Praise God. It takes a lifetime sometimes. But also physically. We die and become in his presence. I want you to get to know that. Scripture says when, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed at home. And look at this, verse 21. Martha says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. She's chastising the Lord. Whew. They have to be close. I don't think you and I at this point can get away with that. Hey, if you've been there. What are you doing? If, if she only knew. The disciples are probably hearing her say, hey, if you had been there, my brother would have died. And the disciples are saying, you hope you never find out what Jesus actually said. He said he was glad he wasn't there. <laughs> that wouldn't have gone over real well. <laughs> What's she going to do? Right? So she's upset. If you had been there, been there. But what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to produce unwavering faith that can't be shaken. Understand something. What he's trying to do in our lives is produce an unwavering faith that cannot be shaken. And it's not a faith that we, our prayer requests are going to be answered because everything should be done according to his will. We get, I get caught up and get ticked off. People want to pray for you. Listen, no, that's your agenda. That's what you want. You've got it all figured out, and God's supposed to fill in, and fill in the blanks and make it happen for you. Listen to me. No, no. It's according to his will. And when you don't understand, he desires an unwavering faith. What is faith? It's about believing that he is, and he's a reward of those who what? Diligently seek him in the midst of the hard times as well. It's easy to serve the Lord when everything's going good, but it's those times of squeezing. The time when he delays, he pulls back and says, I'm glad I wasn't there for you right then and there. I'm trying to build faith, unwavering faith in me and who I am. I want you to get it. It's not about you. It's about my kingdom. It's about you and me together. Listen to me. He understands that this hard time's coming he understands that Martha, and they're going to face some death. He understands they're going to face situations that are coming upon the nation. And he's saying, you've got to believe. You've got, you're going to have to believe in me. And all, you're going to have to believe me for all things. Because it's not going to make sense. You've got to believe me. You can't just simply believe me for the resurrection of your brother. You can't just believe me for the, for the answer to this problem you're going through. No, no, no. You've got to step back and see things as I see things. 
You gotta get a kingdom minded. You know, folks, let me tell you something. The tendency we have is to pick times when we want to trust the Lord. We'll pick the times we're going to trust. In certain circumstances, we're going to trust you, Lord, for this, that, and the other thing. We pick those times. We, we, we pick and choose. We go through the promises of God, and we look for the ones that, that will appeal, those things that we think can apply right now to our personal situation, and we try to figure it all out that way. What about the things God said to you? What about the situations you're in right now? Do you think the situation right now is impossible? Do you? Has he waited too long? Does it seem like he's not responding? What's going on? Developing of unwavering faith. Because what we wait, you know, we wait. Look at I was at the altar, I prayed for ten minutes, got up, nothing's changed. He's still like he is he's inside of me, you know, when he came in here. Nothing's changed. And so I'm gonna go to plan B. You know, I'm gonna threaten him. So I'm gonna do. I'm gonna plan B, I'm gonna work this thing out my way now. I gave God an opportunity, he said no, or he didn't say anything, so apparently he wants me to handle it, and I got a plan. God Almighty at that time has entrusted you with an opportunity. He's allowing you to face a hopeless situation, a hopeless, impossible situation. He's allowing that. He's letting that happen. He wants that to happen. He wants to put you in that place. And it's not that you don't have enough faith. I hate that. You need more faith. Stop. He wants us to have unwavering. You, you can have faith the grain of a mustard seed and move mountains. So it's not the amount of faith. It's not. You need more faith. Stop. You need to know who He is, understand who He is, and believe He's a reward of those who what? you got to diligently seek Him. That's what you need to be doing in relationship. He's not some grandfather you run to and ask for prayer, ask for this answer for your little problem, your little situation He takes care of. No, stop. He's entrusted you with an opportunity. He's allowed you to face the most hopeless, impossible situation. The Lord is saying, I know. I know it's coming. I know what you need to be able to stand. I know, and I see weaknesses in your area where it will take you down. The evil one can push some buttons and take you down. He's trying to produce in his church, in the body of Christ, an unshakable, unwavering faith. A faith that says, I believe you, God, no matter what comes, no matter what calamity comes. He said, I'm going to have a people. I want a people. I want a people who will believe in me and trust in me. Martha's saying, if only you had been there. If only you had been there. If only you had been there. Then she goes on to say to him, but now I believe whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Her eyes are completely off of who Christ is in the situation. And Jesus says to Martha, he's going to rise again. Of course, she said, well, yeah, I know about the resurrection. How do you think Jesus felt that moment? Think about this for a moment. He's standing there amidst his cherished family. He's got the inner circle around him, the disciples. All the disciples. Think about how he feels when his inner circle can believe that God is omniscient. We can talk about the majesty of our God. We can preach about it. We can testify. We can tell everybody how that we believe that God is so great and he is so good. And then when, when God allows a situation to come into our lives, sometimes we do it ourselves, by the way. Sometimes we put ourselves in a situation, but that situation is there. And when that situation comes in, that demands unwavering faith, 
attitude of humility, we begin to question. Oh God, if you had only, if you'd only been there, Lord. If you'd only been there. Now it's too late. Things are spun out of control. Thank you very much. After she had said this, Martha said that she went back. Notice that this, this is interesting to me. After she had said this, she talks to me, I don't know about the resurrection. Of course, he's going to come again in the resurrection. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. And she said, teacher, the teacher's here. She said, and he's asking for you. He's asking for you. Wow. And of course, Scripture is going to tell us that uh, Mary heard this and she got up quickly and she went to him, right? And verse 32 says, when she reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, what did she do? She falls at his feet and what did she say? Lord, if you had only been there, my brother wouldn't have died. It's like a common theme right going on right now. And I'm thinking, you know, just maybe there's another tear in his eye being wiped. Because I want you to think about this for a moment. His disciples, the inner circle, he's around the family, etc. And there's no one faithing him, no one trusting him. In fact, I would say that moment on this planet, in that moment, nobody was trusting the Lord. Nobody was believing him. Think about it. The Jews hated him. There's no faith in Israel. The disciples are standing there wondering what this, what, what this, what's all this about? There's no evidence. I can't find any evidence or anyone who believed actually that day for the res- in the resurrection. They're not thinking about it. And when, when Jesus opens the tomb, has the stone rolled away, the only thing Martha, Martha can say is, hey, he's going to stink. No kidding. That's the only thing she can come up with. And Jesus wept. You know, there's a whole lot of commentaries that have been written on those two words. Thousands and thousands of definitions trying to describe why Jesus wept. So let me add my thought. Not that it matters. Let me add it. What made Jesus weep? What have I made? How have I made Jesus weep? He weeps again at the tomb. He looks around, sees his disciples that are faithless. He's the inner circle that's faithless. The inner circle is faithless. In fact, he had said at one point, when man, when the Son of Man comes, will he find what? Faith on the earth. Where is, where is the faith? Is, is that, is, where is the faith, folks? Where is the unwavering faith? Where is the faith that we will trust in God no matter what happens, no matter what we face? Can we pray? Can we truly, truly pray? Lord, I give myself over to you. The situation is going to, <laughs> it's going to, it's impossible without faith. I give myself over to you. It's impossible to, to please you. I know, Lord. It's impossible to please you because those who come must believe that you are and that you reward are those who diligently seek. Where was the faith that day? Where is the faith today? And I can imagine for a moment when Lazarus, you know, is walking, getting bound, and he's kind of shuffling out of the tomb that day, all bound up. There had been a whole lot of screaming. There had been a whole lot of questions amongst the people. What's happened just now? Well, that's all going on. I wonder where Jesus went. I wonder what was going on with Jesus. No, I think this is my thought now. I think Jesus went over and gave Mary a big old hug. I think he went over to Martha and gave her a big hug and said, I love you. Because you see, what they were thinking and what they were going through didn't affect his love for his people. 
He loved them more than ever. He loved them even in their doubt. Father, forgive them so they don't understand. They don't know. They don't know. See, folks, it's not about losing our salvation. It's not about losing the love for, for Christ for you and me. It's not. It's about entering into the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Paul talked about that. I'm going to tell you something. This idea of suffering with the suffering of Christ, looking at the way Jesus wept and how he was wounded by the things going on around him and the unbelief that was there, I'm going to tell you something. That has always helped me through circumstances and situations. Because when, when doubts begin to assail me, when I begin to wonder what's going to happen next, Lord, it's out of my control. When I think, where are you, Lord? I think about wounding him. I think about bringing a tear into his eyes. And it snaps me back. I said, no, Lord. Not this time. Not any time. Not after walking with you all these years. No. No, I, I know better. I'm going to leave it in your hands. According to your will, my Lord. Give me the strength to see beyond. Remove that dark cloud. You are my light. You know, and really, this morning, that's what this morning's about. It's about my desire to convey to you his heart. And I would say this. I would say that almost everyone listening to me right now, everyone right now, because this is going to be on the internet, even though I was listening on the internet at some point or another, I brought a tear to his eye that wounded him. He didn't intend to do it. Not that you went out to do it, but he wounded the spirit. The very, very one who has touched you, the one who has delivered you from the past, the one who has brought healing into your life, the one, the one who's answered prayer after prayer according to his will. We've wounded him. We've, we've made him cry. We have wept tears to his eyes. He weeps. How in the world can we shrug that off? We've got to examine our own hearts. We've got to examine our own heart in the light of the Holy Spirit right now. We have to. And we have to think about, about the doubts and fears, the unsettledness, the, and the wavering in our lives this morning. And you may say, oh, Pastor Bob, come on, man. I don't have that problem, see? I've never wounded him. I've never caused it. Listen to me. That's probably the greatest kind of wound we could ever inflict upon him, thinking that we never have. And I know, folks, I know we walk by faith. I know that, but we can't know our feelings. Because feelings are natural, and God rejoices over you. Christ rejoices over his church. He absolutely loves us. He loves, loves every one of us sitting here today. But when we're facing a real difficult time, and if you're facing a difficult time right this very moment, you've got to listen. You're looking at a situation that it's going to take a miracle. Let me tell you something. If he's our God, and he's truly our God, the God of the impossible, then you've got to believe that he's the God of the impossible. You need to spend time before him. You need to cry out unto him. All he demands is a living faith. Availability on our part. To believe that he is, and we are those who diligently seek. And if, and if for some reason you feel, well, you know, that really doesn't apply to me right this moment, or, 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 
or that the omnipotence and the omniscience of our God, well, he really doesn't feel pain and he can never be wounded enough. i got news for you. If that's the attitude, then you're fighting unbelief right this very moment. And he's weeping through that episode of unbelief right this moment. Because I believe when we're talking about this message, it applies to every single one of us. And because it does apply to our lives, at some point, if we're going to continue to grow in God's grace and allow the gifts to be stirred in our life and continue to move forward in his namesake, then we've got to repent of that unbelief, that little bit of unbelief. Repent of that wounding in Christ. And we say, God Almighty, the enemy's going to come in. But I know what happens when I distrust you. His knowing of his tears can be a guard for your soul. I believe that. Thinking about wounding his heart can be a guard for your soul. Make you think twice. And I would hope this message has touched our lives. I hope it's touched our inner man or the inner woman. And I, I would hope that we would say yes. Yes, in my present battle and in my present trial right now, there's been a lot of questions and a lot of, a lot of doubts and a lot of fears. I understand that. But I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to put myself aside for a moment. I want to repent before my God. I say, Father, forgive me. Because I'll tell you what, that unbelief is the, is the father of all sins. Unbelief is the father of all sins. Whenever the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Genesis chapter 6 6 says, The Lord was what? Grieved that he had made man on the earth. His heart was what? Filled with pain. Psalm 78 40 says, What? How often they rebelled against him in the desert and what? Grieved him. Forty years. For 40 years, the Israelites heard the truth. And God says, they grieved me, they wounded me. And he says, he says to us, be careful, don't follow their example. Be careful, don't follow their example. In Hebrews, verse 1 says this, therefore since the promise of entering the rest still stands, praise God, let us be careful that none of us are found having fallen short of that promise. For we also have the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Becoming hearers of the word, not doers of. Verse 3. Now we who believed, now we who have believed, what? Enter that rest just as God has said. Jumping down to verse 7, it says this. Therefore God again said a certain day, call it today, when a long time later he spoke through David he said this, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will fall by the following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes, the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, praise God, who has gone through the, not through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. He never put his will over God's will. 
Let us then what? Approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence. So we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of our need. Amen. Are you willing to bring this service to a close? Are we willing to say, oh Lord Jesus, forgive me for making you cry. Forgive me, Lord, for wounding your heart. Lord, I know you love me. I know that. But I have mistreated you, mistrusted you. Forgive me, Lord. I wonder if we can say that as a congregation from our own heart. Because the Lord's willing to forgive. My prayer is that at some point in our lives, we'll begin to feel this pain. We'll begin to feel the wounds. We'll experience the sufferings of Christ. Paul called that entering the fellowship of the suffering. Now, if you're willing to pray that kind of prayer, then having experienced that forgiveness and recognizing what God Almighty is going to do, now we can raise our hands and we can worship Him. Worship Him. Worship Him for the love that He has for us. And we can give thanks to Him and we can worship Him and praise Him. And I believe it's that simple. I believe it's that simple. It's that simple. It's that simple. First John chapter 1 says this, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is light, and have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have no, we have not sinned, we can make Him out to be a liar. His word has no place in our lives. We're talking simple, childlike faith. To believe simply that if we would just believe what God said, confess our sins, that He'll forgive. But it's not just confessing, oh, you know what? I chewed bubble gum in the sanctuary and I stuck it under the seat. <laughs> and Sister Larson's really mad. You know? It's not that kind of thing we're confessing. We're confessing that we put our will over God's will. We're confessing that we have taken the reins. We have decided what our future should be. And we put our kingdom first. Not his. He will forgive. When you say, Lord, we're going to trust you. We want to walk in your righteousness. Walk in the righteousness the Holy Spirit can give us. And by doing that, we'll receive the authority and the power to walk a clean life of righteousness before you. And it's not going to come through our own strength. or not by our own might. But through your strength that you've promised and that you provide. Thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. And amen. For the next few moments, we're going to open up the altars. It's time for us just to seek the Lord in prayer. If the Lord so moves, you can certainly pray one with another. But it's time for us just simply to spend time before our Lord. You can either confess, if you're willing, which I think all of us at some point need to come to that place. And then we can rejoice and praise Him. Can you say amen? Amen. Listen to me. It doesn't do anybody any good just simply to get to the altar and cry out to God and, and just say all bad things, you know, Lord, help me, Jesus, etc., and ask for forgiveness and get up and leave. No, 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 no. 
Listen to me. When the Word of God comes and slices us and cuts us open, and we admit that it's been cut open, we have to allow the healing to occur, which means we have to enter into praise and worship. And that's complete. Amen. And then God touches and blesses in a mighty way. Amen. It's time for us to seek the Lord. Amen. You continue to believe God Almighty. I believe with all my heart as we continue to spend time with Him, not only on a Sunday morning, but throughout the entire week. I'll tell you what, it's going to affect those around. And Father, I believe, I believe with all my heart, if there's a, a sweet-smelling savor that comes out of this place, and then the Lord will draw people to Him. Amen. And you know what? I always believe that the Word's preached. It'll do the weeding out. It'll bring strength. It'll do what it needs to do. And our lives can be transformed and changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise His holy name. Father, we want to thank You for the opportunity to gather together this morning just to worship You. I thank You for Your Word, Lord. Your Word that comes and touches our hearts and brings us to a closer understanding of who You are and who we are and our call, my Lord God. And Father, I pray that throughout this, in, this entire week we'll think about these things. Holy Spirit, have Your way within our lives. Continue to build and strengthen and sanctify. Stir the gifts within, Lord God, that we might just not be a people with Word only, but Father, being able to demonstrate in power and authority that You have called and Father, the day in which we're living today, it's not just crossroads here, Lord, but your body of Christ, Lord. I pray you'll continue to bless and strengthen each one that we might recognize your glory and you'll receive that glory and honor in the day in which we live. Others might come to know you as Lord and Savior. Establishing your kingdom, the true word, might transform our lives. Amen. Not through entertainment, Lord God, but through the bringing of your word, Lord. Let it be strong and let it be correct. Allow your spirit to anoint and allow lives to be changed and transformed. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your guidance. And just thank you for being who you truly are. Forgive us of the areas of unbelief. Father, we need to be strengthened in so many different areas. I thank you for your grace and your mercy in the midst of that transformation and change. Love you a bunch. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. Folks, you are dismissed in Jesus' name. <laughs>